Hello, and welcome to the Biotech 2050 podcast. Biotech 2050 is a think tank chronicling the disruptions changing the biotech industry over the next several decades. Check out our website at biotech2050.com. I'm Rahul Chaturvedi, today's host. I'm also the founder and CEO of Clora. Clora is a software company that enables life science companies to augment their teams with the right expertise at the right time in order to accelerate and de-risk the development of new therapies. I'm very excited to welcome Kenneth Shaheen, CEO of Helio Health. Ken, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So we'd love to start off just with your background and career journey. Yeah, happy to. So starting, I, I guess, from from when I was uh, in grad school, got uh, got my PhD officially in biological chemistry, but was really in that first wave of genetic testing. Actually, Francis Collins was there working on BRCA1 and things like that. So really was in the early days uh, of that. When I graduated, I ended up going to Park Davis, which was then subsequently uh, bought by Pfizer. And you know, I spent some time talking to one of the patent attorneys trying to convey one of the discoveries that I had made and, and realized that there was a real chasm there between the, the PhDs doing the work and, and the patent attorneys that were you know, writing the patents. And so I decided to go to law school. And I joked that I asked 10 friends uh, whether, uh, whether I should go to law school and it was a good idea to have a PhD. They all said it was a terrible idea. And that's when I knew I'm must be fond of something. Uh, and so I went uh, went to law school, really had a really good career. That led me in-house. I really was interested in strategy and how, you know, patent portfolios sort of really helped companies. And then I also joked that, you know, through a series of unfortunate events, I ended up being CEO of the company and, and did everything from general counsel to head of business development, chief operating officer, and then uh, an NCO. But all joking aside, it really gave me a really good appreciation of a lot of the facets of the company. And then uh, after being CEO for, for several years, sold that company and then family had already moved to Park City, Utah, and uh, you know Ancestry.com is in in Utah, and so one of my next door neighbors was the CEO of Ancestry. Uh, we ended up talking about whether DNA was something that was relevant to Ancestry, and uh, joked that the only reason you had ancestors is because they passed down their DNA. And so after talking a few times uh, in the backyard, we decided that I would join Ancestry and start Ancestry DNA. So I was sort of mm. the first employee built that business up, really had an amazing run, grew, you know, I think six or seven years, grew between 100 and 180% a year. Before I left, I think we had tested close to 6% of the U.S. population. And then also launched, uh, launched uh, an Ancestry Health product at the end of last year, which is a, a telemedicine LDT product that uh, is gaining some steams. So after doing that, you know, almost 10 years at Ancestry, I decided to join Helio Health and early cancer uh, development, which I think is a, a really revolutionary area in healthcare that, that really is going to transform the way cancers are, you know, treated. So that's me. Great. And and so we'd love to learn about the path from Ancestry.com to Helio and, and maybe digging a little bit more about uh, the work that you're doing at Helio. Yeah. So look, I was looking for something that was really going to be impactful, right? We had touched the lives of 6% of the U.S. population and was looking for something that was equally impact. And, you know, as I started looking around at different opportunities, the early cancer detection space, you know, really drew my attention. You know, our ability to, to treat cancer when it's caught at stage one or very early, you know, the survival mm-hmm. rates for most of the cancers is like 90%. And yet when you get you know, diagnosis stage two, three, and four, right? Your chances of survival go way down, down to, you know, sometimes the low single digits, right? So mm-hmm. it's all about early cancer detection today. I don't think we're at a point where we're going to stop cancer from forming. 
point, but it's all about early cancer detection. When you ask yourself, okay, well, all right, what do we do, right? Knowing that that very important fact, what do we do about cancer detection? And the two main things that we do today, if you think about it, is like colonoscopies and mammograms. And and colonoscopies, you know, frankly, from a performance standpoint, work well, but you got 35% of the people that just don't adhere to the colonoscopy guidelines because of just the inconvenience, right? And it's very expensive as well for the healthcare system. Mammograms, you know, are actually on the decline, according to the CDC. Uh, women really don't find them very friendly, customer friendly, and uh, and and they're basically on the on the decline. Not to mention the fact that the FDA's put out a bunch of warnings about mammograms. So if you look at that, what we really need is something that that's simple that people could adhere to. And new technology is coming out now where you can take, you know, imagine a world where you go to the physician for an annual physical and they draw one tube of blood for your CBCs, one for your cholesterols and lipids, and a third one for your cancer. Right? Imagine if that were the world. And I thought to myself, that's exactly how this is going to end up. And then when I looked around at, at different companies and opportunities, you know, Helio Health really stood out for a couple of reasons. But one of the main reasons was this sort of global approach of being both in China and the U.S. And, you know, immediately having been at Ancestry and known firsthand what you could do with a large database of samples in terms of AI and how much better you can get the product and the algorithms, immediately I realized if we could leverage China for their scale and their speed of development and frankly, even their cost of development and leverage that not just in the US initially, but then globally, this could be a home run. And so that's that was one of the main attractions for me for, for Helio Health. And we're, and we're pushing on that mission now. Excellent. And it seems like there might be lots of parallels between Ancestry.com and now you taking the helm at, at Helio Health. Would love to unpack some of the parallels that you see where your past experience will really lend itself nicely to the mission at, at Helio Health. Yeah, absolutely. The things that immediately you know jump out at me is one really large TAM, right? When you look at the TAM for Yes, genealogy in terms of being, you know, at Ancestry being interested in your in your genealogy. Like I said, we tested over 20 million people when I left, but also uh, looking at health predispositions like BRCA1 and colon cancer risk and things like that. That TAM is huge, and for and for early cancer detection, it's it's actually you know much bigger between the aging population and just some of the the age related risk factors like colon, breast, lung, and liver. So just if you take those four. In the U.S. and China, you know, we estimate pretty conservatively that the TAM is about $150 billion a year. So that TAM was was something that was really, really attractive. When you are looking at a business that big, the second thing that you really have to think about is scale, right? And I think in general, we had the capacity at Ancestry when I left, about 11.5 million genetic tests could be processed in a single year. That's a healthy number. And and to you know my knowledge, no one else had ever commercially built a genomics business to that scale. And so I think you're going to need, frankly, something you know probably significantly bigger than even that to really meet the early detection cancer business. The third thing that's really attractive from a diagnostic standpoint, if you look at it from a financial standpoint, is the repeat business. So most of the time, right, when you when you go and get a diagnostic test, for the most part, you're trying to find out even some of the other liquid biopsy companies, for an example, where you have a cancer and you'd like to know what the best drug therapy is for that cancer. It's a great business, but, you know, God forbid, you're not going to get two independent cancers uh, in your lifetime, right? And so right. basically, once you get sequence one, you're done, right? And we used to joke about that at, at Ancestry a little bit with the genealogy test that, you you know, you were one right. and done, right? Once we, once you captured you, once you were done. 
in an early detection, when you come in and get a blood test and you're negative, you're going to come back next year and get another test. And even after uh, you get a cancer, we want to know if it's coming back. And so this repeat nature of the business uh, is something that's really, really attractive from a business standpoint. So so anyway, so those 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 are that. And the last thing I would say that's really interesting is I think when when you're looking at a market like an early detection, where you're looking at sort of more almost more wellness than than health, right? In the sense yeah. that you want to make sure you're well and that you don't have cancer. You know, we're seeing in-home testing all over the country really becoming uh, one of one of the biggest growers in sort of your your um, Walgreens and your CVSs of of the world. And I really can see a, wor- a world where you pick up a test like this, you know, at a drugstore, and maybe someone comes to your house like a mobile phlebotomist or something like that, and that's the way that this is administered. And so I think being customer friendly and customer focused and knowing how to talk to a consumer. I think is also going to be critical. So, so those are the four elements that I really think are are, are huge parallels to to what it was doing at Ancestry and, and what what attracted me to early cancer detection and to, to Helio in particular. Thanks for sharing that perspective, Ken. With such a large TAM, the lesson that many companies have learned is that it's very important to focus and be focused with precision rather than trying to boil the ocean. Would love to hear your thoughts on how you decided on on what to focus on in the early days. Great question. And, and I completely agree with that philosophy. I think there's always a lot to learn more than, than you know. And by focusing on one product and trying to get that out and doing it well, you'll learn a lot. And I think, you know, in the long run, you accelerate the development of other products because you, you, you have all those learnings. Uh, what we've done is really focused on liver cancer first. And we're focusing on liver cancer both in the United States and China and taking a basically, I don't want to say completely myopic, but a pretty focused look on on liver cancer, make sure we get that out. And the reason, you know, I, and I have to say, I can't completely take credit for the liver cancer because that was actually selected before I joined. But, but the reason for that, I would say is really twofold. One, because we're both in China and the U.S., in China, the market for liver cancer is really huge. Hepatitis B, in particular, uh, is a huge health concern there. There's an mm-hmm. estimated, you know, close to 100 million people in China that have hepatitis B, and all of those people are high risk for liver cancer. So that's, you know, from a market standpoint, that was one one reason. The second reason is just ask yourself, what is the standard of care today? So how is liver cancer diagnosed today? And the way it's done is through an ultrasound. So uh, the guidelines globally are pretty consistent. So both U.S., China, Japan, Europe, and elsewhere have all recognized that there are better outcomes if you get diagnosed early and that liver cancer grows so fast that every six months it's recommended that you get an ultrasound and sort of this surveillance is in hopes of trying to catch the cancer early. The problem is that ultrasound simply isn't very good at that. And so what you're seeing is the sensitivity of ultrasounds is around 40% if you look at all the meta studies Mm -hmm. that have been done. And uh, so basically four in 10 are being caught, six in 10 are being missed. Uh, And so as far as a bar that you have to beat, right, the ultrasound in this case is a a reasonable one to beat. And so that's what we've been Mm. focusing on uh, right now. We actually have a trial that's ongoing in the U.S. And in the interim data, the ultrasound actually performed 31% as the sensitivity of ultrasound for stage one Mm. cancer. So that just gives you a sense, you know, we're closer to in the 80%. So from a regulatory outcomes-based approach, that that becomes really attractive. Got it. And would love to learn a bit more about the the in-home testing model and how you're thinking about the go-to-market strategy there and then also perhaps touching on COVID and and the impact that COVID's had on your business? Yeah. So I think that 
the traditional channels are still alive and well. So I don't mean to suggest we're going to, you know, uh, not use those, but I do think that there's a huge opportunity to go directly at the consumer you know, via social media and other and other routes, right? Awareness mm. in genetics, and we learned this at Ancestry, right? Awareness is one of the biggest issues that we have. People simply don't understand that they could be predisposed to something, even if multiple people in their family have had a certain type of cancer. And I think in terms of, you know, cancer screening, yeah, they've heard it, but I don't think that they, you know, they really have awareness. And so I think, you know, driving awareness through some of the channels that people are, are you know, mostly uh, watching, I think is, is, is really important. And so I think that's where one of the angles for the consumer testing is important. The other thing is, look, convenience is, is huge, right? And, and I think one of the things that, you know, we saw certainly at Ancestry, is how do you make this as simple as possible for a consumer? And I can envision a world, frankly, where, you know, you need to get tested for your colonoscopy or your early cancer uh, test. I send you a kit to your house and then you can either go to a center of which there are many for Quest and LabCorp or you know, you can literally schedule a mobile, mobile phlebotomist or something like that to come to your house or to your office at a time that's convenient to you, do a blood draw, and then have the results, you know, end up on your mobile phone or app, have them also be concurrently sent to your physician, and then go from there. And I think that that kind of convenience is something that, that really is going to drive adoption. And so that's something that we're really very seriously looking at uh, right now from a consumer standpoint. And on the COVID side, the only thing I was going to say is I think, you know, we've all now uh, if you've had a doctor's appointment like I did, right, they don't even want you in the doctor's office. Everything's being done by telemedicine. I've talked to some of the senior executives of some of the major healthcare companies like Cigna or insurance companies like Cigna saying, you know, the amount of telemedicine, right, has just completely, you know, shot up. And, and what's going to be interesting, I think, is that it's not going to go back to baseline, right? I'm sure a lot of people are going to go back to the doctors. But I think what's happening is both for the, for the consumer slash patient and both for the healthcare provider, Right. This all of a sudden became a more acceptable way of, mm -hmm. you know, quote unquote, doing business, which I think felt a little weird even six months ago. Right. And so I think the covid, you know, if you a little bit of a silver lining, right, is going to be that it's going to drive a lot more comfort around the sort of telemedicine uh, world of doing sort of healthcare, which I think is the, is the right way to go for most things. Yeah, yeah I think. It has forced many companies to push innovation and accelerate innovation because of perhaps regulatory burden being decreased now due to just the, the current circumstances. And I think the consumerization of diagnostic tests with pioneers like the Ancestry.coms and the 23andMe's have fundamentally changed what consumers expect to receive in terms of the user experience when working with a Helio Health, for example. It's quite a quite an interesting point that we're at from a from a digital health and diagnostic testing perspective. Yeah, absolutely. And I, look, the one thing I would also say is I think look, it's going to take some time. But one of the things we faced at Ancestry Health, which I think is going to get faced by Helio Health as well, is when you have you know call it four thousand ish genetic counselors in the, in the entire United States, you know, mm. talk about scale. How do you have every consumer that wants to get a test, a health-related test, get a call from a genetic counselor? Like it just becomes mathematically impossible, right? And so mm -hmm. things that we did very effectively, which I'm a very strong proponent of, and, and sometimes it's a little controversial, but, but I do believe that a website can, in some cases, provide better information than a call. And the thing that we used to say all the time, and I remember doing this when I was having surgery for collarbone I broke, is that they called me in the middle of the day asking me all these health-related questions. And, and I couldn't remember the conversation, right? Because it was the middle of the day. And so 
when we built the Ancestry portal, what we said is, look, we're going to put a video. We're going to have questions. You can listen to it once. You can listen to it with a partner or a loved one. Again, you can then, as questions come up the next day, you can actually send the asynchronous messages to a genetic counselor. They'll get back to you at 24 hours. So I'm a huge believer, right, that this is the way it's going to go. And in some ways that this is actually better than today. And again, it's hard to hear if you're one of those people that are in that that healthcare ecosystem today. But I think this is the way of the future. And I think the right way to go. And on that point, and you know, perhaps a lot of the thinking around these types of models have been accelerated due to COVID. Uh, what do you see the, the future of AI-driven healthcare from, from your vantage point? And perhaps some of the barriers or, or challenges that you and as well as other companies that are focusing on this may face along the way. Look, it's a, it's a great question and one that we've started to grapple with, you know, even a few years ago. I'm, I'm sure some companies being earlier than that. Look, there's no question that, that AI is, is all over us, right? It's all around us, right? This is what's driving so much of our daily lives. And to, and to have healthcare not be impacted by this in, in, in a lot of different facets, I think is, is, is foolish. And, and I'll tell you right now, like, you know, if, if you take a helio health, just to give you a sense of the problem we're facing is, you know, you have liver cells every day that die and end up some of that DNA ends up in your bloodstream. If you have a cancer, an early cancer, uh, some of those cells will die and leave some of the DNA in your blood, right? So the question for us is how do we know when that piece of DNA came from a liver cancer cell versus a normal liver cell? Right. And that just takes a lot of data and a lot of machine learning and a lot of AI to say, when I see these signatures, my confidence is very high that that's a cancer cell and not uh, and not a normal liver cell. Right. And that is just going to absolutely have to be driven by AI. I don't I don't know how we do it any other way. And so absolutely, that is one thing I've heard of other companies using a lot of imaging, using AI, which is better than obviously the naked eye, even even Mm -hmm. someone who's highly trained. So it's everywhere. Right. The challenges are that the regulatory system is set up in a way that trying to sort of meet all the requirements um, when you're using AI versus the traditional method where you're saying, hey, when I see this mutation, to give you an example, um, here's all the data that suggests that this actually leads to a higher increase of cancer. Like that's a, a lot harder to prove. And so the whole system needs to, you know, really adapt to this new world of AI because, you know, it is going to be better at the end. I understand the regulator's point of view, which is saying, hey, look, I need to validate that this is accurate, but we, we got to find a way in the middle because uh, it, it, the train's left the station. This is the way it's going to get done. And so now it's a b- little bit of a catch up for the regulators to, you know, to, to catch up and, and figure out how do they get comfortable around you know, the advances that are being made. And would love to hear your thoughts on uh, which companies do you think have done a really good job of leveraging AI for healthcare purposes? Are there, are there particular companies that you think are far more pioneering and innovative than some of the other folks that are earlier on? You know, it's a good question. I would say the areas that I jump out at me, and, and admittedly, a lot of things obviously I don't know and follow, but the two mm-hmm. that jump out at me, one imaging, and I know interviewing and, and talking to a couple of companies that are really trying to use AI for imaging because you can, you know, sort of train a computer to see a fuzzy image in a much better way than, than a human. So that's definitely one yeah. of the one of the things that's really been jumping out. And I, and I do have to say this early cancer detection, you know, is, is one where you're seeing, you know, everyone in the space is pretty much using an AI driven model because, you know, trying to find a single marker that's the hallmark for cancer in a cell, it's just, you know, no one's been able to find anything like that or likely to find anything uh, like that. Plus, when you start thinking about, you know, the different types of cancers, right? Like, you know, we tend 
to think yeah. that we still talk about cancer as one thing. <laughs> right? There's probably, you know, I'm sure that there's different signatures for all sorts of different liver cancers and lung cancers and things like that. Uh, that's another area where it's really going to be be driven, and I think the regulators are going to be forced to sort of think hard about, you know, how do how do we, you know, how do we meet in the middle for that? But those are two areas that for sure jump out at me, given my, you know, my scope of of knowledge. And and can you know just to just to wrap up here. If you were to look back at your career, perhaps you had the opportunity to talk to your younger self and think about some of our young listeners that are early on in their careers, what advice would you either provide yourself at at an earlier stage or some of our younger listeners that are thinking about how to fundamentally change healthcare by leveraging technology? Is there any any advice that you would provide? Yeah, look, for sure. I think that it's very difficult to figure out which company per se is going to succeed or not, or what individual technology is going to succeed or not. But I think if you take a step back, what I've learned over the years is the macro trends are absolutely predictable, right? And I think, you know, looking back, you know, my, me at graduate school, looking at molecular biology and genetics at a very, very early stage, right? It just was so powerful that you knew it was something that had some staying power. And so I would say to, to, to the young people is look for these really large macro trends. And I still do that today. I mean, again, the early cancer detection and helio health. I mean, there is zero question in my mind, right, that my daughter will absolutely never have a colonoscopy or a mammogram. It's just not going to happen. Now, mm-hmm. I'd love it to be helio health that does it. And if it isn't, I hope we contribute some. But the point is, look for the big macro trends is one. The second thing I would say is, you know, I, I used to always joke around that if you, know, you ask a friend, hey, I have this idea and you share the idea and they go, that's a really good idea it's probably not that great, right? And, <laughs> yeah. and what I mean by that is that, you know, they almost have to disagree and think you're completely crazy. So, you know, I've taken a couple paths in my life where I, I zigged instead of zagged and I and I think it's uh, I think it's paid off. So I think you hear this from other entrepreneurs, but stick stick with the vision and stick with it and, and something, you know, the world will catch up with you if, if you have something that, that's a really good idea. Those are my two things that I that I say and 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 connect the dots, meaning it's amazing this is sort of the Steve Jobs. Right? It's amazing the stuff that you can connect back to things that you did in the past that you didn't think was worthwhile. <laughs> and it turns out that you can apply it to something that you're doing in the future. So yeah, so so use all of you if that, if that makes sense. Great. Thanks for sharing that wisdom, Ken. Well, uh, really appreciated uh, you joining the podcast today and sharing your journey and the exciting, important work uh, that you're leading at Helio Health. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Biotech 2050. This episode is hosted by me, Rahul Chaturvedi. It's edited and mixed by Megan Lovering. If you enjoyed this episode of Biotech 2050, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. Also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at biotech2050pod. Again, that's biotech2050pod. Until next time.